0: her potpourri used to taste really, really bad, you know, and by this time that I met her, I considered myself to be a connoisseur of sorts on potpourri. I had nibbled on enough to know that some tasted sweet, but by the time I met her, it tasted really perfumey and gross. I don't know if they did that to deter children from crunching on the wood chips, or in my case, a grown 12, 13-year-old, but there was definitely a difference, but I'll get back to that later. So when I met Brittany, she had a six-year-old little girl named Anna, and Anna was cool because Anna had this like magnificent room. It was pink. It was baby blue. It was gold. I mean, and she had a dollhouse right in the middle of her floor that almost took up the entire room. So I used to have to babysit her, but I never really minded because she spent all of her time in this room. It was like the easiest going person. Not to mention, Brittany used to have all of my favorite snacks there. She knew I was greedy by this time we it had gotten around. So any sodas, any candies, any chips I wanted, it was there. That was good because I don't recall any money exchanging my hands I don't know if my mama got it and was low-key pimping me out. Who knows? But I was basically fed, or paid rather, by food. When I met Anna's very first father, he was actually her real father, and I didn't like him. He used to walk through the apartment. Well, before he did that, he would leave his shoes outside of the apartment because Brittany didn't like it at all that his feet stunk up the entire house. Evident by her having potpourri. Now that I'm thinking about it, that may have been the reason why she had potpourri. But anyway, he would leave his shoes out of the front of the apartment building and walk inside. And at some point before you got to the carpet in the living room, there was like this marble-type floor that they used to make for the apartment buildings back in the day. And his wet feet prints used to trace all the way up to the carpet where he would sit on the couch in his stinky car mechanics uniform and in his stinky feet. And I just did not like this person, but I don't know, but it could have been me standing across the room, closing my eyes really tight and saying, I wish he go away, I wish he go away, I wish he'd go away. But before I knew it, he actually left Brittany for her cousin. She was devastated by it, but you know, I think she got over it, but Anna took it really, really hard. She had gotten used to having a daddy around the house, and unlike me, who had been without a daddy all her life, she didn't really know how to handle it. A few more daddies came after that, you know. Daddies came, daddies left, but my favorite daddy for Anna was Mint Daddy. And he was just how it sounded, minty smelling when you came in, when he came into the room. He would hug you. You would smell the mint on his breath, the mint on his clothes. He would even give us this, like, double mint gum. And he was the best person ever, you know, just really nice, would help Brittany out in the kitchen when it was time to cook. Just a really, really nice person. I only found out, like, a little while after meeting Mint Daddy that he was actually some kind of male pimp who was pimping young girls. I don't know if he wanted to put Brittany on a stroll or whatever, but he ended up getting arrested. So there was that daddy. Another daddy came in. I didn't like him as much as mint daddy. Anna seemed to, at this point, not care because at this point in her life, there had been so many daddies. She may have been on her eighth daddy who came into the house. So I'm thinking she's like, you know, not as happy as she was with the first two or three daddies. And would spend more time in her room when the new daddies came but that didn't stop Brittany from saying anna come out here and meet daddy such and such and she would do that because she was a nice little girl but for the most part i think the novelty wore off by the time peanut chew daddy came in peanut Chew was not my favorite but he was up there with mint daddy because he used to get these bring these paper bag filled candies you know penny scent candies in these bags and the most he would pick out would be the peanut chews now i like peanut shoes a lot but anna didn't like it so much because they would get stuck in her teeth her teeth were really like tight together and i remember having to spend a lot of times helping her pick the peanut chews out of her teeth because it used to bother her for so much then she started giving me her peanut shoes, and she would keep the rest of the candies but he was cool too but we ended up finding out that he was married, so he ended up leaving. And this is when it starts getting even creepier. Brittany was very lonely. She wasn't the regular lonely where, you know, I wish I had somebody, you know, to hold me for right now when I got off work. She was the extremely lonely, I can't exist without a man type of lonely. And that's always more dangerous. I say that now in my older age, you know. Back then when I'm 12 or 13 years old watching her kid, I couldn't really understand why so many men would come in and out of the picture because in my household, my mama wouldn't even let us sit on our uncle's laps. Like, you know, you you when there were our men in the room, you have to go to your room. Like you can't be outside, you know, anywhere near men, despite what she may have been doing. We weren't really exposed to that. So all I knew was that this was different from what I grew up as, not necessarily wrong, but different. So Brittany was very, very, very needy. And it was really evident by the time she met who I call the 26th daddy. Now, this is just a random number I put on him. It could be more, it could be a tiny bit less, but it was definitely enough men for me to realize, oh my God, I'm losing count. I can't remember these names. I can't even remember characteristics like Peanut Chew Daddy, Mint Daddy. Like at some point it was just, I would call one person Sam and the next person Sam and then Brittany would get really upset with me and tell me to go in a room and stay with Anna. Prior to that, I may have been allowed to hang out a little bit if they wanted me to run to the refrigerator and get this, that, and the third, like, beer or whatever. But when I started mixing up names, it was, girl, get in the room, stay out the way. So it was a lot of confusion, but I did know that this particular guy, who I call the Twenty Six Daddy, was a military man, and he was the creepiest thing I ever met before in my life. First of all, the moment I first met him, Uh, He knocked on the door. I opened the door because I didn't know which daddy was going to come. As a matter of fact, whenever there was a knock on the door, she would be like, Toy, open the door. And I would get the door no matter who was on the other side. I can't say that crime was a big deal back then, but it wasn't the safest neighborhood in the world. Certainly shouldn't just be opening the doors anytime somebody knocks. But anyway, the first time... I met him, I opened the door when he knocked, and he came in, zoomed in through the apartment, went into the kitchen where she was cooking and stole her in the face and left. That was the first time I saw him. And I remember being horrified, seeing her laying on the floor, blood pooling from her lips, thinking about, okay, is this my fault? It took some time, you know, with my mother saying, girl, it ain't none of your fault. She shouldn't have had her stupid ass over here with all these niggas in the house. But all I know is I saw what I saw. A little while after that, he's in the kitchen helping her cook some crazy meal. I believe it was uh, spaghetti or something like that because I can see this red sauce in my mind. But I remember thinking, how is this possible? Not really understanding that when you're older, it's not as easy as a person hits you and you leave them, um, that there are a lot of things that come into play, like with emotions and judging up front is a little easier from afar than it is closer. The fourth or fifth time, now my mother is really nosy. I'm thinking at this time she wants the tea for everybody else, but um, around the fifth or sixth time that I saw him, Anna was sitting on his lap, you know, just happy, laughing, joking. He had brought her a baby doll. I remember this baby doll. Her skin was not really white, but her hair was like blonde. And she was just so happy, thinking that now she would have another resident for her pink doll house. And I just would sit in the corner and watch it all, like just mesmerized. And then something happened. I remember hearing Brittany crying on the phone. I had come into the apartment. I had a little key, and I would just put it in the bottom lock, come in, walk in, and I heard her crying. And I remember staying in the hallway. The way the hallway was set up, you could stand along the wall in the hallway of the apartment and just hear everything before you walked in. So. She was so distraught, she didn't even know I was there. I can't be with him no more. I'm tired of him doing this to me. It's over, it's over, is what she kept saying on the phone. And I remember my heart locking in my chest because I'm like, should I come in or should I go back out? You know, I don't know. At the same time, I was really hungry because I'm coming straight home from school. I know I'm going to go into Brittany's refrigerator and get my life. You know, am I going to have to wait till my mama get home now, you know, to eat? You know, so I'm confused. So I stay there, and then when I feel like I'm being too creepy, I end up walking further into the living room, and she sees me. So she pauses on the phone, puts the phone in her lap, and says, Toy, Anna is not here. You can go home. What got me was not what she said but the look of her face. I had never seen a woman this beaten before my entire life. I forgot to say this, guys. It's of small relevance because, you know, you're beat, you're beat no matter what the complexion, but she was really, really light-skinned. So her bruises were shown like blood to white paper. You know, it was that graphic. And I remember being horrified and thinking she was some sort of monster, my mind not being able to associate what I was seeing with what I was hearing, and the person that I knew. So, of course, I got the hell out of there. I wasn't interested in staying at all. I wanted to go about my life. The thing was, time passed, I want to say two or three days, and I was no longer Anna's babysitter, but not for the reasons people usually fire babysitters. It was probably, I want to say, fall I remember it being cool outside. And I'm sitting on the porch, secretly hoping that if she came in or see me, that she would say, oh, Toy, you can watch Anna now because I miss Anna, her, and the food. But none of that happened. I'm sitting on the porch, waiting, and all of a sudden I see four or five men. You know, they're dressed in jeans. They got on black shirts. They got bats and different kind of weapons in their hand. And I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? And they go straight to Brittany's apartment. So now I'm more interested. So I go into the building, the hallway building, and try to post up by the door. Luckily, it's open because a lot of times when people are entering and leaving your apartments, if you got a lot going on, sometimes people people forget to lock the door. And I'm thinking that's what happened. So it was slightly ajar, not really open. And I'm hearing them looking for military man. And one of them are all, sis, when the last time you seen him? "I I don't remember, it's been three days. I need you to calm down and just tell me everything you know. I'm trying to calm down, but I'm trying to calm down. Sis, when was the last time you seen this nigga? Uh, About three days ago. Like, she's so distraught and so upset. Turns out, military man went to Anna's school and pulled her out of class. Now, here's the thing that really bugs me. She broke up with him and made it clear, but she forgot to tell people who were in and around her life. She even forgot to tell me. I had no idea that she had broken up with military man. Let's say I was still babysitting for her. Had I known he was coming over, or even if I saw him, I would have let him right in the apartment. She didn't tell anybody that it was over. She didn't think about how creepy and crazy he was because she was so in love. And here this man was, had taken her child out of school. This is where it gets sadder. By the time they found her little girl, it was actually in his apartment, he had beat her to death, literally. Beat her to death. And when they found her, it was the most horrific experience that I had ever come close to in my entire life. It was really really horrible just hearing that because i liked anna and to know that she wasn't there anymore it really messed me up like in places that even now are hard to decipher but then there were her brothers there's not a lot known about what happened after that after anna's death she was buried had a beautiful funeral, as beautiful as it can be when a little girl dies, but it was a really moving funeral. But also, military man was never seen again. However, somebody did find a ring that he earned either in high school or something like that with a piece of his finger attached. This is facts. Whether or not this man is dead or alive, I don't know. I'm too young. I live in a whole different state now, but I will say that it doesn't look too good. One of the things I want to say to my best friends out there, if you have little girls and now even little boys, best friends you have got to be careful who you bring around your children not for just them but for you too you never know the psyche of men nowadays i was looking at something um where this little girl um, was burnt alive in a car originally the her own father was in the car too, but he ended up getting out the car and jumping into the lake. But he burned her alive in this car. And I remember thinking like, were there sons? That's up for debate. But I will say as a child, I felt something was off with with military man. I felt something was creepy with military man. And best friend, I know you're lonely. I know you are. I know you want somebody in your life. I know you want somebody to hold you at night. I know you want somebody to tell you, you can do it. But when you have babies, it's so important to keep wider eyes. It's so important to know as much as you can about the person that you're going to bring into your life, because you don't never, you never know a person's motives and women too. Women can be just as treacherous. You know, if you're dating a woman and, and and you know, she doesn't get her way and she wants revenge, oh, she can be just as treacherous too. People, period. No judgment. Just please do your best to make sure that you are really getting to know the people you bring around your children. I've never gotten over this. Even though it's been 20, 30 years from now, from that moment, I've never gotten over it. And I just really wanted to say that because it sticks into my heart so much. You know, I don't even know if I use this part in one of my stories yet because it's so hard to write about because it's real. But I felt the need to say it. I felt the need to say it. Okay. On another note. I want to give my inspiration for Raunchy. I know my Twisted Babies are like, all right, are you going to talk about Raunchy? I'm talking about it. Here it is right here. When I first wrote Raunchy, when I was starting out writing it, I think I want to say I was 100 pages in, there was something that was like not really connecting with me for some reason. Something wasn't really connecting. I felt like I just had a girl who was, being a freak, and I don't write books for the sake of uh, violence, for the sake of sexuality. You know, I got to have a reason for writing my story, and I felt like I didn't know what my reason was. A few things happened. Number one, my girlfriend at the time, you know, um, she's my wife now, but my uh, girlfriend at the time said, Toy, just allow her to be a whore. And that was important in that moment because I wanted to judge her actions too much. I wanted to, uh, to, to judge Harmony as a character too much. And as a writer, you can't be judgmental because all of your books are gonna be one-sided. You have to be able to see the viewpoint of the preacher all the way up to the whore, the killer, the rapist. You have to be able to see these viewpoints in order to get your readers to not really sympathize, but empathize, like to understand why. But it's more for that for me. I don't like to just empathize. I want to know why. So the first thing she said was just allow your character to be a whore. So I allowed her to be who she was, a whore. But in order for me to write this book, I wanted you to see why she was a whore. Because personally, I don't think anybody just happens to be a whore or just happens to be a killer. There are circumstances that come into play. A lot of times it's society's fault, but there are circumstances that come into play to make this person the way she is. And that's what happened. She was sexually abused by her grandmother, her uncle, and even when she got a little bit older, the people who she loved. You know, she was used for her sexuality, and so she found comfort in it. She felt comfort in it because that's who she knew. She had been used for her body for so long that it, it had become a thing where this is just me, and, and and this is all I know. And I wonder what would have happened in her life if she had found somebody to really stand in a place of love when they met her, if you read the series, you know that that never happens. And she not only becomes a whore, she becomes worse. But I wonder what would have happened if she found somebody to be able to see her as she was that said, you know what, despite you giving oral sex to this person and that person, like it's one day in the book, I think it's the first time you meet her as a uh, as a young person, she done had sex with th- three different people in the same night. It may have been more than that. But I wonder what would have happened if somebody would have not judged her and said I love you how you are no matter what and I know you can do better. I wonder what would have happened for her children because because there's a cycle involved. She was raped. She was victimized young. When she ended up having children, she did the same thing. And so they carried that into their lives. And that's what Raunchy's about. It's about trying to break the cycle before it gets worse. People see the cover and it's like, oh, this is about a whore. And it is. But this is about society and our part in making this whore. You know, what could have happened if more people had gotten involved to stop using this young baby for her body? That's why I wanted to write Raunchy. And now I want to give a shout-out to my Twisted Babies. This is a section of my podcast that's dedicated to my twisted babies, my loyal readers. Today's message to me comes from one of my readers and she has won a prize. And please make sure you give me your, um, please t- check your text message because I need some information for you to be able to deliver it to you. But I love her so much. This is what she has to say.
1: Tuesday Twisted Mother, it's your biggest fan, Nikki Magnificent. I think I'm your biggest fan because I've only purchased your books in the last four years. Yes, I have read others, but I only bought yours. I feel like I'm your biggest fan because I love your writing style and you always, always deliver that fire shit. I brag about your books to everybody. Whether they want to listen or not, I let them know. Your books are like none that I've ever read. You are truly the shit. And for me, it isn't only about the books. You are genuinely a sweet, loving, caring, kind person. I love how you truly care about all your twisty babies. Back in 2015, I received a very, oh my God, the message was so emotional for me. But you sent me a message um, giving me your condolences on the loss of my rock, my mother. That meant so much to me. I'll never, ever forget that. So for me, you're more than an author. You're my BFF in my head. Keep giving dope-ass advice and bringing us the best books ever. I love you, Twisted Mother Arthur T. Styles. You
0: rock. That meant so much to me. It meant so much to me for a number of reasons. Um, First of all, I wanna talk to Nikki straight up. Nikki, thank you sincerely for holding me down. Thank you sincerely for staying with me for so long. And thank you for taking the time to send me a message. It means so much to me. I am here because loyal readers and loyal twisted babies like you continue to support me and continue to allow me to be able to live out my dream. I am nothing without my Twisted Baby tribe. So please check your text message. You have a surprise on the way, something I'm only giving my loyal Twisted Babies, and I hope that you like it. All right, everybody else, this has been T-Styles, your best friend in the handbag. Please, 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 I want to hear from you too. If you have something that you want to say to your best friend, that you may not feel comfortable being able to say yourself and you want me to say it for you, call me at 202-656-8697. If you are one of my readers and you want to let me know how you feel, call me at 202-656-8697. And don't forget my new book, War 4, just dropped. You have got to see how Mason and Banks deal with this new dude, who has come up on the island. You're not going to want to miss this book. Also, check out all of my other books at toystyles.com. Check out more information on this podcast at bestfriendinahandbag.com. Live your best lives. Thank you for joining me, and I will talk to you next week.